part of Double P Media. DoublePmedia.com. Hey, spoiler alert. We're talking about Penny Dreadful City of Angels in the context of the most recent episode. If you haven't watched that episode yet, you might be spoiled. So watch, and then come back. Delightfully dreadful. Still your fifth favorite podcast out of three active podcasts covering Penny Dreadful City of Angels. Welcome to Delightfully Dreadful. My name is Matt Murdick, but you can call me Double M if you wish. You can call me whatever you want. Actually, as I intro this podcast and we're talking about the music of Season 1, Episode 4 of Penny Dreadful City of Angels, the episode was entitled Josephina and the Holy Spirit. On Sunday, Catfish and I recorded our thoughts about the story of the episode, and I did share some thoughts about the music of the episode, but this podcast might run a little longer. It would have made our Sunday podcast probably just a little bit too long for most people's tastes, so we're putting it in a separate podcast here a little later in the week. What do you think of my music stuff? Do you like it? Do you not like it? Uh, we do these kinds of podcasts, Catfish and I both, we do our podcasts for free. We don't have Patreons. We don't have anything like that. And I especially don't want any of the music analysis podcasts on places like YouTube or what have you, because I don't want anybody making any money off of John Pisano's music other than John Pisano. Uh, it's as simple as that. That's the reason why we try to stay as commercial free as possible. I, I understand that YouTube will probably want to make some money off of us and put an ad in our longer podcasts that we put up there. But, you know, that's up to them. Uh, just know that we aren't invested in getting any revenue sharing or anything like that. There's only one way that you can pay us, and that is to leave us feedback we know that the people that are watching Penny Dreadful City of Angels are very observant. They're very smart. And we want to share with all of our listeners, all of you smart people out there who are listening right now, we want to hear your thoughts so that we can share it with the rest of the smart people that are out here right now listening. That's the way you can best pay us. Submit your feedback, 314 269 0421. Wait, what? A telephone number? Yes, we have a telephone number. It's really just a voicemail service for Skype. But if you call that number, you will be asked to leave a message. 314-269-0421. Remember that regular phone charges may apply when you make a call. If you don't want to make a call, you can always send emails to dreadfulpodcast at gmail.com. If you'd rather not mess with that and you're more of a Twitter person, then find us on Twitter at dreadfulpod on Twitter. Or if you're more of a YouTube person, just search Dreadful Podcast or Delightfully Dreadful on YouTube and we should pop up in your search engine and then you can subscribe there. You get the podcasts. Again, you don't get the music stuff on YouTube because I'm not going to allow YouTube to make any money off of John Pisano's work. And that's simply because I'm a former musician, a former touring musician and a former recording musician and I still get royalties once in a while and I hate it when the person who puts my stuff up on their podcast or what have you makes more money than I make for them commenting on my work. 
that's all I got to say about that. Uh, speaking of having a podcast up there, we would love it if you would leave us iTunes reviews. In fact, I'm going to make you a deal because we have a little contest going on with Catfish. Actually, maybe I ought to do that first. Catfish in this Sunday's podcast put a challenge out to you all, and he's going to reward you with a prize for meeting that challenge. Here's what he had to say. Uh, I'm putting you on the spot here because that's what I'd like to do. Okay. Which Magd do you think is going to get involved in the Molly storyline? Wow, that's a good question. All right, well, I'm going to put this out here, Matt. I've just decided, just, just, I've just, just, just made it, made a decision here, and I'm just going to steamroll right over you. I've decided I want our listeners to contact us in any of the ways that we have given, and we'll give them out at the end of the episode. And I want the best most amusing explanation for how for for one of the magnus explain how they're going to be involved in this storyline and i will say it could be something that makes sense but what i prefer that it be crazy and nutty and for the craziest and nuttiest explanation i will find uh, a delightful gift and we will i will mail it to you so i'll call out to our listeners uh, it's also a test if anybody is still listening at this point in the podcast. Ah. Send us your most outrageous, funniest, wacky explanation of which Magda is going to be involved in this storyline, and you will win a prize from the Delightfully Dreadful Podcast. And there you have it. Catfish has made a challenge. The way you can pay us back is by meeting that challenge. Again, use all those contact links that I just told you before. Or you can just go to dreadfulpodcast.wordpress.com. You can find all of the links there. Answer Catfish's question. Do it creatively. Do it sanely. We, you know, just want to see what you come up with. Because we're lazy. We want you to do all the work. <laughs> uh, actually, we do appreciate you doing all the work. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to one-up Catfish. Since he's not here, I can kind of go behind his back. And I'm going to one-up him. And I'm going to say that the first 30 reviews that we get on Apple Podcasts, on iTunes, the first 30 reviews that we get will be thrown into a hat to win a free copy in the format of your choice, whatever you choose, of season one of Pity Dreadful City of Angels whenever it comes out and in whatever formats it comes out. We'll draw a name out of a hat the first 30 reviewers of this podcast on iTunes. And that means a written review, not just stars. Stars are great. We love stars. But stars don't really help us to remain your fifth favorite podcast out of three active podcasts. Instead, we need those written reviews. Those are the ones that help us make the show better. They're also the ones that help us in the rankings, believe it or not. So, I'm begging for rankings. That's a payment you can give me as well. Just remember, you won't hear any ads or anything. Just leave a written review. And we don't care if the review is good or bad. We just want you to be honest. What do you like about this show? What do you not like about this show? Uh, we have a, a couple more reviews that we will share with you on the next Sunday podcast as well. And we thank those who have already reviewed. You're already in the contest. Looky there, you're already entered in. Now, get to work on this one that Catfish issued you as well. And remember, if you ever want to complain about me and Catfish to our father network, so to speak, 
Uh, Bubba runs the Double P Podcast Network. And as Catfish said in our last podcast, why would you want to say Packed Podcasts Podcast Network? Actually, Double P Media is what it's called. But you can find everything they do on social media under this. The word double and the letters PHQ. So Twitter.com slash double PHQ. And Instagram.com slash the word double and the letters PHQ. If you have any complaints about this show or praises about this show, please let our boss know. That's Bubba. And you can do so using those kinds of contacts. As for Catfish himself, if you want to contact his personal Twitter, he's at CJGMan67. I'm at Musical Concepts, but I will always respond to you at DreadfulPod if you just tweet to that. It doesn't matter if you follow us or not. You know, why would you want to watch a bunch of posts about a podcast that you've already listened to, right? So that's not so much why you would want to follow us, but we would love it if you would just tweet to us with your thoughts even about this episode, season one, episode four, Josephina and the Holy Spirit. And we're going to talk about the music here in just a second. But first, I do want to say hello to TV Podcast Industries. I said your name wrong on Sunday's podcast. I'm terribly sorry. Folks, you can find them. Just Google TV Podcast Industries. I think their Twitter is TV Pod Industries, maybe. But don't take my information for it. Just Google TV Podcast Industries. They're a great podcast also covering Penny Dreadful City of Angels. They cover a lot of stuff, so be sure to check them out. They do a much more thorough job than Catfish and I. Uh, we just try to be entertaining in our own way. And one of the ways I can be entertaining is to tell you about the music of this show. Let's get into it. Hi, 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 Another whiskey sour. Yes, ma'am. So there is a scene from this week's episode, Josefina and the Holy Spirit, episode four, Penny Dreadful City of Angels, that had actually two different motives that we've heard a lot of, but only one of them that I've talked about. The one that I've talked about actually happened at the beginning that's what I like to call the Magda motive. It's the motive that typically represents Magda or her power. And, of course, uh, she was kind of casting her spell on Peter Craft at that moment, although he obviously was more than willing to have that spell cast on him, the way he was <laughs> trying to get her attention and to steer everybody else away from her. So uh, that... Motive is something that we've heard a lot of. It's this. I'll play it on the piano. It is one of those motives that has been varied in rhythm sometimes. Sometimes not all of it is played. That one is just, of course, the very first phrase, the very first snippet 
So that's not much to go with, but it does stand out given the context of the scene that it is in. The motive that I really want to concentrate most on, though, especially for a good portion of this review of the music, is the one that followed that. And that was as Tiago was driving along the coast in order to find the beach bungalow that Hazlitt and Molly had. I'm talking about this. Now, believe it or not, that motive, even though the rhythm has been varied quite a bit between its different uses, but that little motive, and by motive I mean just a little phrase, a little musical phrase, sometimes you combine several of them to create a full theme, sometimes they can just stand on their own. That's what we call motives. But this one has been used since the very first episode. In fact, it was presented in a pretty grandiose way when Tiago and Mishner were on their way to their first murder case. The Hazlitt murder case, in fact. Which is why this motive connects with that. And we'll talk more about that in a second, about how the different uses of this motive has kind of interconnected stories and maybe even done a little bit of foreshadowing for us. But the rhythm of the motive was different, meaning how it fit in time. The rhythm in the first episode was a little bit different. It had a different feel to it, even though that the intervals, meaning the distance between the notes, were the same. In the first episode... It's the same intervals, once again, the same distance between notes. That means you can juxtapose it to different key centers. It means that you can do different kinds of rhythm with it, and it still remains the motive. But I'll just play this for you on the piano. So yeah, that version feels a little bit different, right? Not only is it in a different key, but the notes happen in kind of a different order of how they're held out and that doesn't make it not the same piece of music or the same motive it's just one is a variation of the other but the first time that we actually heard this as i said was in the very first episode santa morte as Mishner and tiago were driving up on the murder scene of the four hazlets So what gets us up so goddamn early? All right. So I'm pretty sure you heard that in there, that motive that I played for you before on the piano. But just in case, once again, here it is. Now, here's what's really interesting, or at least it was for me, is that that motive not only has been used for the crime. Now we have two instances, Tiago driving while he's investigating the crime. And in this last scene, of course, Tiago and Mishner getting to the original crime scene. So there's the interconnection there. But right from the very beginning, it seems that this motive was also connected to Molly. So in a way, it was foreshadowing 
what was happening in terms of who might have actually killed the Mexicans. Now, why do I say this? Because this motif was used during the episode Wicked Old World when Tiago and Molly were at the Santa Monica Pier, when they were discovering things about each other. You can hear it right as they have that wide shot of everything, which looked fantastic, by the way. But it was also repeated at the very end of the episode, the exact same track. So I'm going to play you that portion first so you don't have the dialogue getting in the way. But go back and check it. When Tiago and Molly are first at the pier, you will hear this. So the motive actually becomes kind of a call and a response to itself. Makes it sound very romantic because of the kinds of chords that it's placed under. It's going against major kind of chords and minor kind of chords. All kinds of harmonies that make us feel them falling in love. I don't know if I should explain how those kinds of harmonies work or not yet. But... I'm sure that you kind of got that warm, fuzzy feeling about them kind of floating around on the Santa Monica Pier, right? And it doesn't just do it there. It goes through several key centers. And that's why I call these motifs rather than, quote, themes, because that context that I just played for you in the piano is an entirely different context than what we've heard before, right? With the murder investigation, just kind of a single note here. There's a whole bunch of the motives working together to imply a harmony as well. And that signifies not only Tiago's connection to Molly, but the murder connection to Molly as well. And whether Molly's guilty or not, it doesn't matter. What John Pisano was doing by choosing either to use the Molly and Tiago stuff together and place it at the beginning to give us a musical clue as to what was going to happen with the investigation or whether he just started with that for the investigation and then once he knew that Molly might be implicated, decided to interweave that into her and Tiago's thing. Doesn't matter which way it was decided. All that matters is they are connected. And so now we have music as a narrator, not just a commenter, but a part of the story, not just something to instigate our feelings. That's always the function of music, and it should stay out of the way for the most part, in my opinion. But I love it when the music helps give clues to the story itself. Ramin Javadi is a brilliant, brilliant master of that. I feel like Lauren Balf is a brilliant master of that. Michael Giacchino has been a brilliant master of that. I haven't really looked that much at John Pisano's works in terms of like Daredevil or what have you close enough to see if he's done that all his life or all his career as well. But I think it's fantastic that you have these kinds of musical clues to give you an idea of what the script is trying to say. Maybe not even in so many words. Just another way that 
we have foreshadowing in TV or in books, we can also have musical foreshadowing. You've probably listened to me ramble enough about that subject. So here is the version that came during the end credits. Again, it is an exact duplication of Tiago and Molly when we first see them at Santa Monica Pier. inspires quite a bit of uh, wonder and awe and it's the discovery of new love because of the way that this motive fits within the chords themselves or the chords that they create it's all splendor and wonder so in this way the motive has now been morphed into kind of a love theme for Tiago and for Molly But then, of course, later on in this particular episode, Season 1, Episode 4, Josefina and the Holy Spirit, Tiago encounters Molly at the apartment. And it's confirming all of his suspicions. And it's breaking his heart in a way. And obviously, it's breaking Molly's heart in a way, too. And so now, this same motive, which has evolved from the murder connection to Molly, to something in between Molly and Tiago themselves, now becomes something that feels like Tiago and Molly are falling apart with descending chords underneath the motive being used over the diatonic structure of the key. And what I mean by that is now the distance between the notes don't mean so much as long as they fit into the key and tell us going from this major four chord, the fourth chord in the scale step of the tonality, down to the minor three. It gives you this sinking feeling. Oh no, they're already falling apart. Here's what I mean on the piano. Very classic love theme kind of sound, a sadness, their relationship isn't what they thought it was. And part of that is because the harmony moves down. It doesn't go into all these strange places like Pisano sometimes likes to take different types of themes. He likes to change keys a lot. Here we're very centered and we're falling down into a bittersweet place. It's really, really well done the way he has modified this motive over and over and used it to both indicate the murder and the connection to Molly and using it as the connection between Tiago and Molly themselves, which let's face it, Tiago probably would have never met Molly if it hadn't been for this murder case. So I love how, again, the music tells a story, but to hear that version of the motive that I just played on the piano, here is the scene from this week's episode. Want doesn't enter into it. I'm Sister Molly, that's who I am. It's all the value I have in life. You're 
I never want to see you again, Detective. One other note I'd like to make about that particular cue is I love how a lot of Molly's stuff ends in what we call a suspended chord or in uh, an 11 chord. In that case, it's actually a minor 11 chord. You don't need to know these terms. Just know that not only does it have this certain sadness to it, but because there is a certain note in the chord that would not normally be in the chord, you get a feeling that this issue isn't over. That's why we call those kind of chords suspended, actually, because they need to get somewhere. They need to be resolved. They make us feel like we need some resolution with them. And that's exactly what that last chord did for us, which is what makes the dish scene at the end kind of pay off. If you're rooting for them, if you're shipping them. At any rate, we need to move on to another theme that we've heard a lot of, but we did hear a very nice version of it, although the circumstances were a little off-putting, if you don't want Magdus to succeed. However, uh, let's take a listen to this, and it is at Peter Kraft's house in the room where, as Catfish put it, he decides to sniff Elsa's neck. Gotta tell you, I almost missed this one. It's definitely something that we've heard before. We've heard it a couple of times before. We actually heard it at first in Dr. Kraft's office. The first time him and Elsa ever met. We heard all components of that, save for one, and I'll get to that in a second. But I got thrown off probably because of the way that it started, even though I shouldn't have. The rhythm of the first part of the theme for Elsa and Peter Kraft, the rhythm was changed to the point where it just felt like it was just keeping time and I didn't recognize the intervals, the distance between the notes. I didn't recognize the motif itself. This part. And then there was so much uh, hooting and hollering going on that I barely caught the main melody that made me kick in immediately. This part. Then I was on board. And for the purposes of the clip, I tried to cut as much of that other stuff out so that you could hear that part of the melody more predominantly. Hopefully you did. 
but that is, of course, the main melody and kind of the intro and the outro, that first piano part that I played, it's kind of the intro and the outro to that main melody for Peter Kraft and Elsa. Another thing that might have thrown me off, actually, was what I would call a counterline or maybe even an ostinato pattern because it's one that hadn't been used with their theme before and maybe that distracted my focus a little bit too. This is what I'm talking about. An ostinato pattern is a repeating pattern that happens regardless of what kind of harmonic changes happen. It stays stagnant. Now, that's different from an arpeggiation, which changes with the harmony. The pattern remains the same, but the actual notes change in order to fit the harmony. Here, the pattern pretty much stayed the same. So if you want to just call it a counterline, that's fine with me. If you want to call it an ostinato pattern, that's fine with me too. Everybody has different terms for different things, and it's however you relate it best. There's no test at the end of this podcast. You don't have to know any of these terms. But just know that that threw me off a little bit. But it did really help because the actual clip from the time that Peter was walking into the room started with that, that ostinato pattern. And that way it built into that first motive with the big jumps being on top of it. And then, of course, the ostinato pattern did change to the new key with the main melody once we heard it too. But it was always present. And it helped give the cue, and hopefully for the actors and and everybody involved, the energy for the scene to make it a big deal. I'm not a big fan of sex scenes, so it didn't really matter to me. But it was nice to hear the theme presented in this way that I thought addressed the urgency of their sexual encounter. I thought that this was really well done. But as I said, we have heard this before. See, that's another thing that made this particular cut sneak up on me a little bit. Because as you heard, that motive with all of the big stretches in between the notes, the descending one, happens a lot faster in most of the other cuts that we have heard. This time around, it was just like one note per beat. Whereas in this last time I played for you on the piano, it happens a lot faster, right? It gives you more of the feeling of the sinking feeling because that's Elsa telling her sob story. Here, they're feeling themselves out in passion and so the motif slows down a little bit. But let's listen to the first time that Elsa and Dr. Kraft met in Season 1, Episode 1, Santa Morta. I think I've soiled your handkerchief. Oh, keep it, please. A gift from Essen to Berlin. Yeah. 
Okay, so the rest of this musical analysis is going to be hard. It's going to be difficult to listen to some of the clips. It's going to be difficult for me to talk about some of these situations. Sexual assault, to me, is one of the most brutal, horrific, and heinous crimes that mankind has ever found a way to commit. And uh, I'm not going to pontificate too much about, you know, I know that you all know that it's bad and it's wrong, but I did want to warn you that because I needed the music to come out that scored the, uh, the scene with uh, Fina and Riley assaulting her, I had to keep some of the dialogue sound in. There wasn't any way to really take it out without it really hurting the sound quality of the music. So if that stuff is disturbing to you, and I mean it's disturbing to all of us, but some people are more sensitive to this kind of thing than others, and I totally get it. But you may want to skip ahead at least for the next minute or so as I play the scene where Riley assaulted Josefina. Have a nice day. Before I get into talking about the music of this, I do want to just issue a big thank you to Jessica Garza for having the courage and the honesty and the bravery to do a scene like this. All of the actors. I'm sure it's probably one of the most uncomfortable scenes any actor can perform. And I talked about my distaste for these kinds of scenes even though I do understand their necessity, this really shows how poorly women have been treated uh, for so long. Jessica was also nice enough to respond to a tweet that I put out congratulating her on such an amazing performance, which was very moving. Probably didn't need this music underneath it to sell it, but the music certainly made it emotional as well. Now, there's not much in the way of a motive or a theme that we can talk about. There is a motive within this scene that is developed over and over and over again through different key centers. That's this. And we could talk about how the harmony implies the amazingly disruptive nature uh, and horrific nature of what has been done here. But I think more so than the notes itself, 
is the instrumentation that was chosen, the what we call the orchestration, the way it was done with a solo cello, so symbolic of the fact that Fina is completely alone in this moment. It doesn't matter who's around her. It doesn't matter that Mateo's there or he's f- trying to fight to get to her. It doesn't matter if Tiago was there and he beat up Riley right then. This is a moment that only Fina knows what it's like for her. And choosing a cello, which is one of the most emotional and expressive instruments that Western music uses and having it stand out so much and so far apart from the rest of everything else in the orchestra was a fantastic symbolization of Fina's experience. And I don't know who the player was that did that solo, but they've got Yo-Yo Ma balls. They seriously do. That That's some of the best cello playing I've ever heard in my life, and I have gotten a chance to experience Mr. Yo-Yo Ma live. You never get closer to whatever you call God than through the experience of hearing a cello express itself musically, and especially in the hands of a master like Yo-Yo Ma. And I'm putting whoever it was, may have just been just a studio musician, but man, they've got it. Because the sound of that cello, as I've had to listen to this clip a couple of times over in order to be able to talk about it to you, has destroyed me every time. Jessica, with her gasp and that cello, how can you not see the injustice that is being done here? And a cello was the perfect choice. And there's a couple of reasons why a cello is a perfect choice that I can use a couple of Yo-Yo Ma clips to demonstrate. One of the reasons that cellos are so effective in conveying emotion is because of their range. Listen to how low and how high a cello can go within a single passage as Yo-Yo Ma plays some Bach for you. One of the other things that makes a cello seem more human, actually, is that in its different ranges, and depending on how it is performed, with what kind of bowing technique, the instrument itself, cellos have a harmonic series, what we call an overtone series, that makes it more human to us, I think, than a lot of other instruments do. What is an overtone series? Well, an overtone series is the higher frequencies that give an instrument its sound. It's why a trombone sounds different than 
a violin. And different techniques can be used. The masters know how to do it, but they can give a cello or an instrument anguish in it, bite to it by the way that they bow it. Or they can actually produce tones that they're not actually playing by using certain techniques to where it's almost like a haunting kind of sound. Literally, it's like musical ghosts coming out of this cello because he's not playing those notes, but for some reason your ear hears them. And all of these things were present in this performance under Josefina, but to illustrate them a little better than what my audio quality can give you, here is once again Yo-Yo Ma, and you'll hear the harmonics or the notes that are there but not there and you'll hear some of the bite and the way that bite can also be muted down in this clip from Yo-Yo Ma. And I will say this again, all of those actors in that scene has to be one of the hardest scenes I've ever done. They were amazing. That score, you can say, may or may not have been needed. But adding the human element of a solo cello, again, representing Fina in the moment where she is alone the most in her entire life was an absolute brilliant choice and the cello did make one more appearance later on after she told Matteo to keep quiet and she was gathering the groceries up so I'll leave you musically with that and I'll be back with some closing thoughts in just a minute I think I need to try and come up with a joke here so that I don't start crying. Uh, aren't you glad that I decided to do this podcast separate so that if you wanted to, you could just skip over it? Can you imagine this being in the middle of the Sunday night podcast that went long on its own? I think about an hour and 20 or so that Catfish and I talked about this episode and here I would have added another 45 minutes on it. 46 minutes, 50 minutes onto uh, that podcast. Might have been a little long for most people's ears to take, especially of my voice. So thank you for making it to the end of this one. Once again, folks, please, please, please give us feedback. That's the only payment we ask for is feedback and iTunes reviews. Don't forget the first 30 people who leave reviews on Apple Podcast apps or iTunes or whatever you call it, wherever you are in the world, if you do it in that, you will be included in a contest to win your format choice of Season 1 of Penny Dreadful City of Angels as soon as it comes out. We will get it to you. We'll just take 
the first 30. We'll throw them all in a hat. We'll draw it out. And we will uh, give away whatever it is that uh, gets produced in terms of a DVD. Listen to me. Once again, dating myself. DVD, Blu-ray, 4K, digital, however, whatever format you want it in. We will get it to you free of charge if you win the contest. You can only win the contest if you enter. You can only enter if you leave a written review on iTunes, on Apple Podcasts. And again, please think about Catfish's offer too. He's got lots of cool stuff. I have no idea what he's fishing out of in order to to get you a prize for the most creative theory as to how and which Magda will get into the Molly storyline directly. We've got a couple of indirect things, right? But we need a direct correlation between Magda and Molly. And your creative ways of thinking of that enters you into his contest. How do you get that to us? Well, you send tweets to at DreadfulPod, DreadfulPod. Or you can send emails to dreadfulpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can leave us a voicemail. Call 314-269-0421. Remember, regular phone charges may apply to that. You can leave comments in our YouTube page. So there's lots of ways that you can enter and win Catfish's contest. All of the links and all of the back episodes for this podcast can be found at dreadfulpodcast.wordpress.com. And don't forget that we're part of Double P Media. That's the word double, the letter P, H-Q, on all of your social media. Until Sunday, when we talk about the next episode of Delightfully Dreadful, take care. <laughs> Send emails to dreadfulpodcast at gmail.com or tweet to at dreadfulpod. <laughs> Part of Double P Media, doublepmedia.com.